0: chapter 21, and if you're a guest with us today and you, if you don't have a Bible, or even if you're a frequenter and you don't have a Bible, we're going to have it on our screen, I believe, but uh, John chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, it says, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the son of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going to fish, Simon Peter told them, and, uh, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out uh, and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out, he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Uh, When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. This is the word of God. Please remain uh, standing and join me in prayer. Father, I pray that each one here would just feel your presence today, that we would open our hearts uh, to hear your word, Father. Just bless uh, bless the lips of the uh, preacher as he comes up to uh, instill your thoughts to our hearts in your son's name. Amen.
1: You may be seated. Thank you. He is risen. Oh, let's do that again. He is risen. Thank you. John said, it is the Lord, and Peter, strapped on his outer garments, jumped in the water to go and see him. Amen. Isn't that an incredible image of um, the, the Apostle Peter? Um, I'm a uh, mediocre fisherman at best. Do you have any fishermen in the room? Nobody? Wow. Okay, we got maybe one in the back. Okay. Got <laughs> some people fishing. I'm, I'm mediocre at best. Uh, rate me on a scale of one to ten I sit comfortably probably at around a four on my best day. (laughs) I can barely tie a hook on a line, which I think you need to know if you want to fish. I rarely know where to go, right, uh, to to catch them um, or what bait to use. There's all these different kinds of bait. But in spite of all this, I love fishing. Is anyone with me? Like you don't know how to fish, but you love going and you love doing. You know how to fish. (laughs) I love fishing. Um, But I love fishing even more when I'm with someone who knows how to fish, right? Um, they usually know where to go when I don't. They know what time to go. That matters, I hear. That's the word on the street. They know how to tie up my hook for me when it breaks off the line because I did it wrong. They know, how to ret- they know how to retrieve it when I cast it into a bush, right, or into a tree. You guys have done that. Um, and they, they know when to pack up and move on to find a better fu- spot. So I just love, I love fishing. I love it even more when I'm with someone who knows how to do it. Um, But you know what I hate just about as much as I love about fishing? Is not catching anything after hours of being there. I start asking myself why it is that I actually love fishing. (laughs) I turn very quickly on this craft that I claim to love and start to hate it. Um, Not catching anything after hours of trying. When I was in my 20s, um, I went fishing on the Cape Cod Canal uh, with a friend of mine who knew how to fish supposedly, it was Alan, those of you know who Alan, and uh, we were chumming, you guys know what chumming is, it's basically throwing fish guts into the sea to catch jaws, Um, so we (laughs) we were chumming for stripers and we start chumming, nothing, fishing, waiting, nothing, chum some more, waiting some more, chum some more, wait some more, and it was just fruitless, it was a fruitless effort, we didn't catch one thing, I didn't even get a nibble, not even a bite on my hook. Very, very frustrating. We actually saw the, the sun coming up um, as, as we were fishing. We both were like, did the whole night just go by? So very, very frustrating um, to, to go out there and fish and to not catch a thing. This story is kind of about that, if you were kind of paying attention during, during the reading of this, this story. Um, this story is sort of about this. It's about fishermen who are fishermen by trade who went out to sea to catch but didn't get anything, didn't get a thing. And they were using nets. I would imagine it's easier to catch at least something with a net. Maybe a boot. (laughs) There's a character in the Bible um, in this story that was one of Jesus' followers. His name's Peter. Peter was a fisherman by trade. He did this for a living. But for three years, imagine doing this, he decides I'm not going to be a fisherman anymore and I'm going to leave my career and I'm going to follow a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi named Jesus. And Peter, for three years straight, Followed Jesus around. He was there for everything. He witnessed Jesus' miracles, which included turning water to wine at a wedding, raising the dead, healing the sick. He was there for his teachings, marvelous teachings that 2,000 years later, even if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you probably heard some of these teachings. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? You've heard these? To, to this day, we still hear, well, Peter got a front row seat to the preaching of all these sermons. <clears throat> I would imagine they're probably the, the sermons were probably a little better than the one you're going to hear today because <laughs> Jesus Christ preached them. <clears throat> he was there for everything. He was there for his betrayal. He was there for his crucifixion. He, was, he witnessed, according to Scripture, his resurrection, and Jesus actually appeared to Peter. And after all this incredible experience, imagine, put yourself in his sandals, right, not his shoes, he probably had sandals. Put yourself in his sandals. That was meant to be a little funny. I could have got something out of that. Um, Put put yourself in his sandals. After all this incredible experience, hearing Jesus preach witnessing his miracles, given the power of Christ himself to perform these miracles, seeing Jesus crucified, then resurrected from the dead, having appeared to him physically and personally, Peter says, after all of this, I'm going fishing. Interesting. I'm going fishing. And I think that oftentimes when we hear the message of Christ and even witness his power, We get to a place in life where maybe we doubt it or are bored by it or something, and we say, let's go fishing. The King James Version says it a little better. I like it a little better. He says, I go (laughs) a-fishing. Today's Easter Sunday. Did you know that? Today is Easter Sunday. So what? Some of you might have gotten a flyer in the mail, um, or rather in the, the newspaper or seen it online. That's kind of how we headlined the the service this morning it's easter so what you know we live two thousand years later we've sent men to the moon well this is the day of evolutionary theory and what does this matter anymore i mean what does easter even mean okay it's part of our culture let's just eat some ham and open up some chocolate eggs but the resurrection of jesus really what does that even mean So Easter is the day, as you probably know, that we remember that Jesus rose from the dead. And if you don't know me, my personality tends to want to prove that. like Because I believe very fundamentally that the resurrection is historically qualifiable. It happens. And oftentimes in the past on Easter when I've preached, I've tried to prove that. I've tried to show that, explain it. And I chose a different direction this morning. I'm not going to really go in that direction. Although there is much evidence for it. And if that's where you're at and you have doubts, I think we we can talk and we can explore that question together. But this morning, I want to assume that he did rise from the dead. And why that matters for you. Even if I can get you and convince you that maybe it's possible that Jesus Jesus did rise from the dead in some kind of miraculous display of power. Who cares? What does that mean for our lives? I want to show you why Peter wanted to go fishing that day and what the resurrection of Jesus has to do with it. It's very important. I want to notice three things in the progression of our story. It's empty efforts, losing Jesus, and gaining life. Empty efforts, losing Jesus, and gaining life. So let's, let's look at that first one, empty efforts. Before Jesus had been crucified, he told Peter that he was going to make him a fisher of men. Did you guys know this? Jesus said, after I go away from you... You're going to fish for people. He commissioned Peter, and that's just kind of a fancy word for saying that he called him. He instructed him, commanded him, to follow Jesus in his footsteps and fish for souls. And why? The reason Jesus wanted Peter to fish for souls is so that people would see that they are most fully satisfied in having a relationship with Christ. Not with their career or not with relationships, but with Jesus Christ himself. So he said, Peter, you've come to know this. I want you to go fish for men. Because the cry of mankind's heart is not that they don't have enough money or that they don't have love. It's that they don't have me. Period. So Peter, fish for men. So rather than doing this, after miraculous displays of power, rather than Peter doing this, he says, instead, I go a-fishing. And how did this happen? Peter had not let his soul be satisfied with Jesus Christ. He got distracted. And we see him demonstrate this by seeking his purpose, his ultimate life's definition in his vocation rather than his relationship with Christ. And we know he did that because he went back to fishing instead of staying connected to Christ. Now whether you know Christ and have drifted away from him, or have never known him at all, we are all followed by this unrelenting and irritating reality. And I hope that you guys can identify with this. That our efforts to prove ourselves, to show ourselves as worthy human beings, our efforts to be applauded and to be affirmed, to be loved, always as Peter's nets, are, fall short. They're always empty. And we always return to our fishing thinking that someday maybe I'll be fulfilled and satisfied and affirmed because of some human relationship or some career. But they always come up empty. Those nets don't have a fish in them. We suppose that if we have power or fame or fortune or love, then we'll be satisfied. But we never are. That's not to say that we never experience relative satisfaction or enjoyment out of life, but we just have this nagging sense that this isn't it. This This is not what I need, what I've been looking for. This is not what completes me, right, Jerry Maguire? Complete me. The rocks we aim to pick up to sort of satisfy The longing to know why we're even here, those rocks of career and and finances and relationships, they just kind of turn to sand in our hands and wash through our fingers. I want you to consider some insightful words from this iconic superstar, Madonna. Listen to what she says. And she describes herself in, in the condition of her heart. She knows herself better than, I think, most. But listen to what she says. She says, I have an iron will. And all of my life has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. Empty nets. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. There's some fish in there. Seemingly full nets. And then I get to another stage and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting again. You see, it turned to sand and washed through the nets. Again and again, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre and that's always pushing me and pushing me because even though i've become somebody i still have to prove i'm somebody my struggle has never ended and it probably never will friends those are empty nets the longing of the human heart to prove themselves now, she has a big stage and a big audience and a lot of people applauding her. And sometimes that satisfies the longing of her heart. Sometimes it doesn't. But don't we do the same thing? We, we do the same thing with our parents. We want our dads and our moms to see us and applaud us and be proud of us. Our nets get filled up when they do it. But when they don't do it, 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 it turns to sand and goes right through. And, we, and, you know, when we become adults, we do exactly the same thing. You know, you know, if my boss would simply recognize how great I am and how brilliant and hardworking I am and gave me this promotion and I would be the boss, how grand would the world be? And maybe kind of back in the recesses of your own brain, you know, where that comes from? Your dad, maybe. You want to impress him still? You want to prove yourself as lovely or competent? But our nets are empty. In all our vain attempts to satisfy a thirsty soul, our wells remain dry and our nets are empty. And we don't see Jesus. We, number two, lose Jesus. And this continued tussling at the sea. So here, here are these men who are just laboring all night and catching nothing and wanting to just get some fish. They finally give up. I wonder if the sun was rising like like it did on myself and Alan that day. And they finally just, in their own despair, said, just forget it. Let's go in. And don't we do that in life sometimes when the next relationship doesn't fill our soul, we end up in this hopeless despair? Another thing that I thought would satisfy my lonely soul has fallen short again. Forget it. And we sink into misery and regret. But Jesus appears on the shore to these men, to these discouraged, fishless apostles. And he says, Friends, have you any fish? <laughs> I think that's funny a little bit. He knew he, they didn't have any fish. He knew they didn't have any fish because he's the fish. You see what I mean? They're looking for him. What they're really looking for in the water is really him, it's really Jesus. So he says, Friends, haven't you any fish? Are your nets full? Of course they're not. Even if they were full, they wouldn't be full. Because only Jesus can fill them. He says, I'm right here. But they call out, no, they answered, no, friend. The text tells us Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Isn't this interesting? So here's this mysterious man this bystander that just kind of shows up out of the blue and he calls out to men who have been fishing all night without any fruit at all without any fish at all and they and he says men do you have any fish and these men don't realize it's jesus no they answer men these apostles did not recognize the lord they couldn't see him they had lived with him and walked with him and journeyed with him, witnessed his miracles for three straight years, every single day, and they didn't know it was him. And I think all I've got to really say about this is, friends, he is with you every single day of your life, whether you know it or not, know it or not. And isn't it true that we don't recognize him? We don't see him. He's there with you in your prosperity. He's there with you in your suffering. He's there with you constantly. He's there with you in all of your desires. You desire love and marriage. Why is that? Well, it's because you desire love and marriage with God in heaven. That that desire should point you to the desire. Right? He's there with you every day. Every day he keeps your heart pumping. Every day he, he rises and sets the sun. And we don't recognize Jesus in any of it. We don't see him. Just like these men who should know that he is there and that he loves them and he offers them complete satisfaction and relationship with him. They don't see it. They don't see him. They lost sight of him somehow. And they were losing him. Everything in their lives should have pointed to the fact that Jesus was present, loving, and directing them, yet they didn't see him. And friends, everything in your life up until this day should point you to the fact that there is a creator, God in heaven, that his son, Jesus Christ, was resurrected from the dead and loves you, and he is the point to your life. Everything in your life should point to that. Recognize it. But we lose Jesus and all the things that should point us to him. And one writer notes how often he draws near to us and we know it not. Friends, this moment as I speak these words, Jesus is near you and he speaks to you. Do you recognize him? You need to see him. Psalm 19 verses 1-4 through says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of His... How do we see Him, you might ask? Well, according to the psalmist, we can see Him in creation, in the things that exist. The trees and the animals and the creeping things on the earth and everything that swims in the ocean and the beauty of nature are speaking a message to us. And that is that God is here and that He loves you. Day after day, they pour forth speech. They're talking to us. And what are they saying? They are declaring the glory of God. God is glorious. That's what it says. Do you not recognize it? Do you not see it in a little hummingbird? Do you not see God's creative power and beauty and everything he's done for us in something as simple as creation? In verse 3 in Psalm 19, they have no speech, right? Trees can't talk. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes to the ends of the earth, their words to the ends of the world, declaring God is glorious. Do you see him? He's near you, or do you not recognize him? Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to those with a broken heart. Even with your broken heart, even in trials and sufferings of life, you should see God there as a sympathetic friend and a loving father. We see him even in those moments of life. In Romans chapter 1, what a wonderful passage. It says in verse 20, for since the creation of the world, and this is a book in the New Testament, by the way, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. What he's saying here is that the, the universe that is created, because of its order and majesty and beauty, we should clearly know that God exists. And I go to sip and dip a lot. You guys go to sip and dip? Right, I see a lot of cups this morning, and I've used this illustration before. If you know me, you've heard it. But you know, I go, I go to um, the coffee shop sometimes, and you get a hot coffee. And you know that, like about 20 years ago, they, they, the, the lids they used to put on hot coffees were flat. You remember that? They were flat. And you're driving along. You're on your way to a business meeting, and you hit a pothole. Boom! And what happens? Oh, that hot coffee is all over my white shirt now. What a bummer. Someone, someone sat down one day and said, you know what? Let's make that lid a little bit higher, right? So you, know, you know, know how it's like kind of raised now so it prevents that spilling when you're kind of moving around? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Am I the only one that's ever bought a coffee here? Okay. <laughs> someone thought, hmm... Let's, let's make this easier for people. Now, I, I look at a coffee cup lid, and I'm thankful that someone had the brain to think of something like this. But I can't look at my eyeball and think, wow, isn't God great? I have to think rather, well, isn't it amazing that this just happened by chance without any reason? That's what this means. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. We know he's there. For although they knew God... They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like human beings and animals and reptiles. They worshipped and served the created thing over the creator. Now, this is powerful, and this says something very simple to us that we just can't miss. God has revealed himself to us clearly, yet our sin against him is simply this, that we see in his creation only what he can provide. We go to it, the created thing, to fill our soul rather than the Lord of glory. That's what it means that we exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images we're trying to save ourselves through his creation, rather through him. Does that make sense? We take the glory of God and we ascribe it to his creation. We worship his creation. And we don't worship him. This basically, basically means, and some of this might be l- religious language and I might be losing you. Let me explain to you what I mean. It basically means that we trust in status, in relationships, in prosperity, to justify our existence rather than God Himself. We're proving ourselves through what we do, and and our accomplishments, rather than our relationship with God and who He says we are. See. Don't you realize why you want love, why you want applause, why you want promotion? You were built to want that, but you were not built to get it from God's creation. You were built to get it from God himself. And we sin when we look for it in his creation rather than him. That's what sin is. God created you so that he might provide all of of these things to you. And there's good news, friends. This is your day. This is your hour. Today's the day. Come and get it. Only he can do it. He's there. He's speaking to you. Come and get it. But if you don't see Jesus in all the moments of life, you're not going to recognize it's him in all the small minutia of life, in all its joys and struggles, and your nets are going to stay empty. Listen to what um, C.S. You guys know who C.S. Lewis is? He wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. There were some movies that came out um, about 10 years ago about this. He said this, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an, in, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. You think you're happy? because you have a new relationship or you got a new job oh friend praise God for those things but you don't know joy you don't know full nets until you see Jesus Christ come to him the sin we collectively have committed is to fill our nets with anything but him we don't see him but he's near us see him, recognize him, come to him Something marvelous happened in this, um, to these uh, sorry fishermen that I hope happens to all of us this morning, especially if you've never seen Christ clearly. They saw Jesus. Their eyes were opened. They gained, number three, they gained life for the first time. In, in their seeing, they gained life. The life they were looking for all along was realized perfectly and fully in Jesus Christ. Praise God. These men had fished all night and found nothing. And isn't that our story? We fish tirelessly for meaning and satisfaction, yet find empty nets. Jesus instructs these men, he says, toss the net out again to the night, to the right. And the text says that they could not even haul in the abundance of fish, that their nets were breaking, they were so full. And it's at this point. That they, they saw Jesus. They knew it was him. John announces, it is the Lord. They recognize him. It is the Lord. Oh, and what a glorious day when we finally recognize, oh, it is the Lord. It's not what I thought it was. This is the Lord. This sickness, this new relationship, this job, this prosperity, this joy, everything... It is the Lord. All good things come from him. So any joy that we've ever experienced in life, we should realize that it is him. You see? Jesus opens their eyes. He made them hear his voice. They obey his command and their nets are filled. And likewise, he calls to you this morning. He calls to you this morning. And here is what he says to you. If you've never known Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, here's what Jesus says to you. Here's the words you should not, are are your nets full? Here's what he says. He says, look unto me, Isaiah, it says, look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Be saved, be rescued from the torment of your burden that you carry, the, the fruitless empty nets that continue on and on. Be saved from it. Come to God and know his grace. Friends, the Lord is calling this moment. Look to him and be saved. On the boat, Peter looked to Jesus. He saw his lovely Lord. And you know what he does? Isn't this great? I think of Forrest Gump. I don't know. Every time I read this, I think of Forrest Gump. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off to work, And he jumped into the sea. He couldn't even wait for the boat to dock. And that's what happens when we see the Lord. Oh, friends, he is more lovely, he is more beautiful, he is more intensely incredible than any other thing. And we just want to jump off our stuff to get to him. That's what happens. Now, Peter jumps in the sea. Now, you might miss, miss this if, you don't, if you're not too familiar with Scripture. The sea in Scripture is always a symbol of trouble, right? God flooded the earth with the sea because of sin, right? So trouble, God's punishment. Um, there's a story in Scripture where Jesus is casting out demons, and, and the demons say, don't send us into the sea. So sea is, the sea in Scripture is symbolic of uh, trials or loss or even death. Peter is jumping into the sea to go after Jesus Christ. You know what that is a picture of and that's a symbol of? He is saying, I will lose everything if I can only have Jesus Christ. Because nothing else matters. Take everything away. If I don't have Jesus Christ, I can have the whole world and be miserable. But if I have Jesus Christ, I can lose the whole world and have life. So, Jesus, so, so Peter says, bring it on. It doesn't matter. I need Jesus. So he jumps in. I'll take the loss. I'll take the suffering. That All the suffering that you can throw at me. With Jesus Christ, it's just fine. When we see for the first time the beauty of Jesus Christ, we become willing to lose everything for him. Jesus is at, is at last seen to be everything we have been looking for all along. What have you been looking for? In your life, I hope that you see this morning that what you've really been looking for is Jesus, the Savior, because He is worth so much more. There's a story in Scripture in the Gospels that Jesus sells, that, uh, tells. He talks about a treasure uh, hidden in the field and he compares it to the kingdom of God, having Christ, in other words. He says there was a treasure hidden in a field and a man stumbles across this treasure. And he recognized the value of this great treasure. So Scripture says he sells everything that he owns to buy the field from the owner. Kind of tricky, this guy, right? Might have been nicer for him to say, "Hey, there's a treasure in your field," but he doesn't do this. He says, "Hey, um, I'm going to sell everything I own. I'm going to buy this field from you." And the guy's probably, probably, "What are you insane? You're going to sell everything?" It's, it's interesting that maybe the, the reality is maybe the guy knew that the treasure was in the field, but he didn't see its value. So he says, sure, sell all your things. I'll take all your stuff, and you can have that. But the, but the person who has had an image of Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, the dad maybe you never had but always wanted, the mom that you never had but always wanted, the friend that you never had but always wanted, the applause that you never had but always wanted. He brings it to you. He offers it to you. Come and get it. Come and get it. Peter jumps into the sea and he finds life. And friend, when you finally, what's the, what's the picture for us? We need to repent of our sin and our worshiping of everything but God and accept that Jesus Christ paid the penalty on the cross and rose again so that we might have life, so that in him we could have this life, this renewed relationship, this reconnection with our creator and our God to find our meaning and our purpose. The resurrection changes everything. Friends, are are your nets empty? Have they been empty for a while? Christ has been there. He's on the shore. He's calling out. Are your nets empty? But do you see him? In your victories and your defeats and your joys and your sorrow, do you see him? Look to him and he'll fill you. And that's the hope of the resurrection. At the death of Christ on the cross, Christ took the burden of sinners like us on the cross. Christ died because we are sinners. And Christ died a judgment from God himself, a judgment poured out from God on Jesus for sin, a, a judgment we deserved, but for, the, for, for sinners like us so that we would never have to die that judgment. And should you repent and believe on him, that's the holy transfer. He gets your sin and junk and burden and we get his glorious life and righteousness. And we get filled up nets. Jesus, his nets, his nets were empty for us. He was, in God, forsaken darkness so that we would never have to be. He was judged with a holy and righteous judgment of God in the place of us who deserved it. He takes our shame. We get his glory if we would simply turn to him, repent of our sin, and trust, follow him, trust him, that he died for us in our place, and he lives again right now. Because he lives, maybe you can live this morning for the first time. One pastor said this, and I'll close. The first followers of Jesus, his apostles, knew that if Jesus rose from the dead, it meant that they didn't have to be afraid of anything anymore. Wow. Not Roman swords, not cancer, not even hell itself. We don't need to be afraid of anything anymore. If Jesus rose from the dead, it changes everything. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to ask you this morning for anyone in here that might be a follower of Jesus already, that we would remember the Lord. It's easy to get distracted, it's easy to look away, it's easy, it's easy to just go a-fishing. Oh, but God, help us to remember that it's just vain. Fill our nets, God, with your comfort, with your presence, and with your love. And if you don't know Jesus Christ here this morning, this is your very first time. Could I encourage you this moment to come to Jesus, to look to him, and be ye saved. The Bible doesn't say that you need to um, do good things or help old ladies across the street to be saved. It says, by grace you are saved through faith, for it is a gift of God. He saves you. The gospel is news, it's not advice. And this is the news, that Jesus Christ's nets were empty. He took the burden of your sin and sorrow on the cross, a judgment you deserved, and died for it. So that you could have resurrection life. So that your dad can love you and be reunited to you. Your dad in heaven. Would you turn from your sin and come to the lovely Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? If you're doing that, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm simply just going to ask you to tell me or someone that maybe you know is a believer in Christ already, jump in the water, friend. Jump in the water. Don't be afraid. Fear not. The moment you look to Christ and see him and call out to him to rescue you, he'll fill your nets. He'll save you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time in Jesus' name.